Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today, we're going to talk about something that's top of mind. I've been seeing this on my Instagram channels, on Facebook, and where I communicate with, with people, fans, followers, part of the biohacking community. And it's that a lot of people don't have jobs right now. And everyone who does have a job is wondering, okay, am I going to have a job? What can I do to make sure that I do? So I wanted to do something to help all of us uh, pay attention to that. So career development right now, you can say career, what career? I'm just happy to have a job. This is a short-term phenomena in the overall course of your life. You're going to live to at least 100, probably you know, 180 because you listen to the show. So this feels really big right now and it is big right now. And five or 10 years from now, it will not be as big in your mind as it is right now, and your career will still be there. So I brought an expert on today who's a career advisor. He's led a large sports entertainment talent marketing firm. He's helped CEOs, lawyers, entrepreneurs, and especially young professionals grow their careers faster than they otherwise would have. So you could kind of put your head down and run and hide, or you could say, this is the opportunity of a lifetime, and this is a chance to really lean in and push forward and say, okay, uh, when there's chaos, there's opportunity, uh, as you'd hear from Lao Tzu. So that is what I would recommend to you. And I wanted to bring someone in who could teach you about something called connectability. And he's going to teach you some tips on how to develop something called AWE, and we'll define that for you. When you're done with this show, whether you're late in your career or you're just getting started, you're going to have more tools to go out and kick ass now and for the rest of your career, however long that is. I'm talking about Stephen Herz. He's president of Montag Group in New York City, and he represents 250 big journalists, broadcast executives, and basically knows what he's doing. So Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's, it's quite an introduction. I, I hope I'm right. I hope, I hope you're right, I should say. <laughs> well, you, you got my attention because uh, you have a, a book called Don't Take Yes for an Answer, uh, using authority, warmth, and energy to get exceptional results. And it's it, it's a really cool perspective on things. So no one's ever said, don't take yes for an answer before. Why why is that even a title? It doesn't make sense on its face. Well, the reason why is because I believe that a lot of people unwittingly over the last 20, 30, 40 years have been put or put themselves into an echo chamber of yes, there is uh, three factors for that reason. One, we've had great inflation. A B is now an A, a C is now a B, et cetera. Many universities don't even give out Cs. They're not allowed. So then the <laughs> second thing is, well, it's true. The second thing is, is that we had this introduction in the 80s of the participation trophy. And that was great. But now the participation trophy has kind of morphed into what I would call an MVP trophy. So everybody who steps out on any field perspective field, you know, is, is mistakenly thinking that because they got a trophy for showing up, they actually are the MVP. It's kind of similar to what the movie, the, the Incredibles tried to say. So that's mm -hmm. the other factor. And then the third and most important factor, I think for your listeners today is HR departments by and large in many major companies in North America have stopped firing people. They've also stopped giving people feedback for the people that are not necessarily the best performers. They might spend some time trying to get the A minuses and the A's to A and A plus, but everybody else kind of goes by the wayside. And one major HR executive told me, we don't even 
let people know they're being let go. We call them downsizings and reorgs and rifts. We use all these euphemisms to get rid of the people we don't want. They never even know what hit them. And that's why I say don't take yes for an answer because so often in life, you think you're hearing yes, and then six months later, you're on the wrong end of a downsizing or a reorg and you're out of a job, or someone else gets a promotion. Well, if you were so great and everything was so yes, 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 why aren't you where you wanna be in life? And that's why I call the book Don't Take Yes for an Answer. It makes so much sense, and it, it's true. Um, the normal process that I grew up with, you know, in, in the tech world as an entrepreneur, if you didn't produce, they'd put you on a performance improvement plan, which is like getting a C, and they'd say, you're not cutting it, so do these things, and you'll be fine. But uh, to, in today's world, quite often you put someone on a performance improvement plan, they're so incensed, like, how dare you say that I'm not performing well? I'm like, well... Look at the numbers, <laughs> look at the data, or look at the feedback from all of your colleagues that say that, you know, you leave bodies after a meeting and you're mean to everyone. All of those are not performing well. I'm saying this as a CEO, uh, but there are people that are so incensed, they just fly off the handle. So yeah, a lot of HR departments are, I think, worried about that. They don't, they don't want a bunch of people flying off the handle and doing a bunch of legal things that are ultimately futile, but take up a lot of people's time. So there's a corporate behavior from that that's actually largely driven by legal issues, Correct. Uh, and you're right. It does rob employees from that positive or negative feedback uh, that could be uh, that could be really valuable for them. Uh, I, I never I, thought of it that I, way. I prefer to call it constructive feedback rather than negative. But yeah, I'm trying to keep a positive spin on it. But there you go. I suppose you suck at this uh, would be negative feedback. <laughs> so that that would be bad. Uh, and right. you have a bad manager if you hear that at work. Uh, but I will actually admit, I have said that to, to employees where I've built trust with. And I'll say, you know what? You're killing it on these three areas. And this this one, you know, you've never done this before and you are completely failing. And we can laugh about it because there's an element of trust and improvement. But you can only do that with certain employees who are uh, um, just interested in self-improvement and improving their performance. Whereas if you say that other people, they cry for a week and say you would never do that. And it's the it, it's that. How do you get over that as an employee, though? How, how do you go in and say, "Okay, you told me I'm doing fine. I don't really care. Like, you know, am I the best person in the company? Tell me more. Is there secret words you tell a manager to know how you're doing?" Well, uh, first of all, just to go back to what you said about earlier about the person that you could laugh about when you say the negative feedback, you've achieved with that individual connectability. You've connected with mm -hmm. them. There's a there's a high level of trust, and so you're able to do that. But going back, you know, and also kind of furthering the point you're talking about, I think the employee, look, this book is written for the employee. It's yeah. not, if it works on the corporate cultural level, great. And I think it can, but I'm hoping that the reader is an individual. I mean, cause two people can't read the same book at the exact same time, unless you're staring over someone's shoulder. <laughs> um, True so that. Each, each person is going to have an individual experience with this book. And I want them to say, Hey, how can I improve my lot in life? And the answer, I think, is to change your mindset and to start looking at the quote unquote, to use your term, negative review as a gift. That's a gift. The answer, I think, is to change your mindset and to start looking at the quote unquote, to use your term, negative review as a gift. That's a gift. If, if I get a negative review, even if you tell me I'm doing seven things well and one or two things not as well, if I can improve those two things and still continue to do the seven things well, and I come back to you a year from now and I'm maybe nine and oh, 
or eight and one, I'm more valuable to you a year later. But if I'm still at seven and two because you didn't tell me what those two things were, my value hasn't increased to you. And if I realize that as the employee, that I'm increasing my value to you or to the world in terms of more customers, better getting along with colleagues, better leadership, fellowship, whatever it might be, I'm helping myself. So you should be thinking about that criticism as a gift and also take it selfishly. Boy, I'm so selfish that I'm asking for this constructive criticism. I mean, it works on, I believe, on multiple levels. It's funny because uh, Brian Tracy, real famous personal development guy, wrote a book, you know, Eat, uh, Eat the Frog. And in that book, he says to employees anytime in their career, look, there's really only three things you do that are really important. And if you do those three things right, your boss will love you and you'll move up in the organization. Yet you have a list of 25 things and you, do, you don't know what the three of them are. Uh, and so he describes in that thing, maybe if you figured out and then say, hey, are these the right three? Um, that that'll work. Uh, it, is that sort of tied into this, uh, that conversation where you say, look, I did some soul searching on what I do that adds the most value to the org. I think it's these things. Is that right? Is that is that building that connectability you're talking about? Or is it more going out for beers and hanging out and you know playing basketball or whatever to build that connection? Is it more, let me show you value? Or is it more, trust me, I'm a person kind of a thing? I think it's, I think they're very connected. So okay. again, the, the ideal reader of my book, you, you can't choose your own reader. Can you imagine I'm sitting there in Barnes & Noble? No, 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 you, Dave, don't buy this book. It's not right for you. <laughs> Only for you, Bill, right? That'd be right. really great, great for sales, right? But the, the ideal reader of this book is someone who has the core competency in the job job. He can do the three things. You know, I talk about dentistry, for example. If you needed a dentist tomorrow and you because you had a cavity, you could probably find 50 dentists in your community, we all could, who are good enough mm -hmm. at filling the tooth, right? The right. cavity. The problem is, is that the end user often doesn't know the difference between the great dentist, the good dentist, the average dentist. So we're really evaluating people on how they make us feel based on their expression, their communication of their, of their qualities. It's not their substantive qualities that we're evaluating them on right. because we don't, we don't know. So again, it's, it's to answer your question, it's very related. It's not so much about going out for beers, although that helps on the margins. It's about that person. Let's say you're in a computer software business, which I know that's your background, is, and, and you need to develop a new program, whatever it might be. You, Dave, might be the greatest programmer in the world. But in this hypothetical, no one person can build the perfect program. Mm -hmm. And you've got to work in a team of 10. And if you can't listen to the guy next to you who may just know that one little thing that's going to make that program better, even though you're contributing 90% of the value of this idea, but it's not going to work without that tail wagging the dog, so to speak, then you're not that valuable to the team. And okay. that's the idea is, can you listen to other people? Can you make room in the relationship? Because you might be the greatest coder, but if you can't do those other things, you're not a great, you're not a great, of great value. So then how do people avoid that, that feedback avoidance? Uh, where you're not getting the feedback you want. What's what's the trick? So it's connected to beers. It's connected for saying, how do I add more value? <laughs> but, I mean, is it a conversation? Is it a, yes. a thing you do? It, it yes. seems well, it seems very hard to get to, to create a trusting environment where your manager is going to say, I'm going to take the risk of telling you something you might not want to hear. And that sounds well, let like me a ninja let me skill. You, let, me, let me tell you a quick story, okay? Maybe this will s summarize it for you. It's a, it's a small 
story. It's actually in the book, but I think it illustrates a lot about hopefully the culture in my business and the culture I think others should try to create. We had a guy, well, he's still with us, Reed Pakula is his name, and he starts with us as an intern about a year out of school. He'd worked for another sports marketing firm, and he started as an intern, and he was going to be a paid intern. He's going to become a junior agent. That was the aspiration. And after about two months, he comes to me, and he says, how am I doing? And I said, Reed, you're doing great. Everybody likes you. You, you do everything that's being asked of you. You're, you're, you're just really a pleasure to have around the office. You've got a great attitude. You have a can-do spirit. All I've heard is positive about you, and I think you're well on your way in, in, in the next – it was a three-month thing, a month from now, being promoted. And, and you know what he said to me? At 23 years old, by the way, he said, I'm not taking that from you. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to hear that. He said, don't tell me how good I am. I listen to the way you talk to people around here. I know the entire premise of your book. I know the culture you have. I see the way everyone talks to each other. How, how like he didn't say exactly this, but how dare you tell me I'm doing well? You know, I mean, I, I, I couldn't believe this kid had the presence of mind to say this to me at 23. And I thought, okay, I've really achieved corporate culture nirvana here, right? This was the moment. And I, I said, all right, fine. You asked. You're right. Very wise of you. And I said, well, you know, you actually have a problem with your authority. Because, you know, my book is about this A-W-E, awe, authority, warmth, energy. Those are the components of what you should be looking to improve once you don't take yes for an answer. So I said, you speak with a lot of filler words. You say like all the time. It really yeah. detracts from your intelligence. You're a bright kid. I could see that. But you don't come across that way. You don't maximize your intelligence in terms of the competency you create around you. And he said, wow, wow, okay, okay. Okay, he, he was kind of taken aback. He actually he said, like, like, okay, like, didn't he? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So he says this to me. And of course, like, even though I'm writing this book, I felt bad saying it to him. I don't know him that well. He's a young guy. And, and he was doing just fine enough to get the promotion. And two weeks, two weeks go by and he comes back to me and he said, all right, I've really worked on it. How am I doing now? And now we had a better opening for this. And I said, well... To be honest, you stink. You really haven't improved at all. <laughs> and, and again, like you had with your colleague, we laughed about it. And I gave him this trick that I've now employed. It's sort of a, a life hack, if you will. And I said, you go home for the weekend. It was Martin Luther King weekend, 2017. I said, you go home for the weekend and you say like to your heart is content. Don't even think about it. All the likes you want. Enjoy yourself. Go like crazy. And I said... But one thing you have to do is you are going to pay absolute hyper attention to your parents, your siblings, your friends, everybody using the word like. I want you to be hyper focused on that. And we're going to see where this takes us. I had, I had an idea where it would go. So Tuesday comes in. Tuesday comes. He comes in and he says, all right, I have good news and bad news. The good news is you are never going to hear the word like out of my mouth ever again. <laughs> The bad news is I can't stand any of my friends anymore. I can't be around them. Yeah. And so to, to this day, three years later, I have not heard him say the word like one time. It, it's incredible. It, I had a problem. I spent too much time at the Bulletproof coffee shop in Santa Monica. I was traveling a lot and I picked up like in my lexicon and maybe I got it for my kids. I don't know. But I started saying, all right, kids, I need you to remind me of this. And I'd remind them. And man, having your kids pester you about it works really well. Uh, but you're also reminding me, 
of one of the execs I had working for me who was pretty good on some levels and not great on others. But she had this habit when she would stop to think, she would say, uh, just like that. Like, like Eeyore talking. Yeah, just this is the worst sound you'd ever make. And I really wanted to, to sit down and say, look, you need to work on this because you're really smart, but I would never put you in front of the media. And you're at a point in your career where you probably could do that sort of stuff and you're unaware you're doing it, but you can just stop and think without making that sound. Um, but I didn't do it. And I didn't do it because especially for CEOs or for very senior, quite often men, they're the, the father figure in a company. You know, you're, you're the, the oldest, strongest authority figure. So for all young children, that pretty much translates to dad. So there's weird, really complex psychology that's all subliminal and none of it's conscious, but it, it affects behavior patterns. So if you feel like someone's been criticized a lot by their parents, particularly their dad, and you're a CEO and a guy, you're even small criticism can really be triggering for people. And in this case, I'm like, I really don't want to, I just don't want to step into that because even though I think it would be of service to know that, I think me saying it would probably create exactly that problem that you talked about at the beginning of the show. So I never did, but uh, you you definitely built that relationship. And in this case, we didn't have it. So it, it, it's really, really interesting you said that. I wish everyone would do what you said. Well, there's a solution to your problem, if I may. Yeah, please offer it. So I, I, I say this, the book is called, there's one very important word in the title of the book. It's called, don't take yes for an answer. The most important word, believe it or not, in that title is take. Because there's something called the give and the take, right? Give and take, mm -hmm. obviously. You're talking about giving feedback, right? And I'm talking about taking feedback. And I believe that the best feedback is the kind that Reed Bakula got because he initiated it. He was the one who said, no, I don't want to hear how I'm doing well. I want yeah. to hear what I could be doing better. And he had the presence of mind at 23 to say that. And now he's thriving in our company three years later because of that mindset. And I, that's why I wrote this book, honestly. And to your point, and you're right, I'm not doing it for the money. I, I wish I had known when I started. <laughs> it's a labor of love. It's, it's right. great. <laughs> it's but, focusing and it's educating, but man, it's hard. So thank you for point, writing it, though. You're most welcome. But the the point of 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 the of really why I wrote the book is that it forces somebody to take the affirmative step in their life and find out to ask that question: Do I have that uh the Eeyore thing you're talking about? Do I have that like? Do I have this bad habit of not making eye contact with people? Am I a bad listener? There's a hundred things you might be doing wrong that could be sabotaging your career and your life, and you don't even know it. And you know that song by Nick Lowe, You Gotta Be Cruel to Be Kind, right? Yeah. Well, I think it's a slight variation of that. I think it is cruel to be kind. By you not telling that person about the Eeyore sound, I mean, sorry if I'm criticizing you right now. No, that's but, fine. But I do think in a weird way, if you realize it's cruel to be kind in that moment. And my hope is that, first of all, I hope a lot of people buy my book and I hope other people write <laughs> No, but I'm serious. I hope other yeah. people write write books like this. Sure. I hope that this this mentality is is something that gets really inculcated in American and and Canadian businesses. What what I was planning to do in that situation was, um, or I just said um. See, uh, <laughs> what I was planning to do in that situation was to hire an executive coach uh, to help with career development for this uh, kind of mid level executive, and then tell the coach, Hey, can you work on this? 
So then it's in a constructive feedback and I don't have to be the one to deliver the bad news. I have no problem delivering bad news. In fact, there was a time not so much after that where I delivered the bad news that uh, you didn't hit your numbers, uh, your job isn't here anymore. <laughs> so I didn't have to hire the, the career coach because they failed at their core tasks. Uh, but as I think through the whole process there, it's that, you know, how do you create a, a, an opening as an employee for a manager to just say, all right, you really want to hear the truth? And for me, as a, as a leader, it's actually relaxing to know that, that someone really wants to know because usually senior executives know because we've worked for 20 years with people and we pick it up. So your book is, is a really important point or your book contains a really important point. No one told me this in my career when I was 25 or 35. And I think the problem is worse now than it used to be, uh, which you're also saying here. Uh, what does this do, though, for someone who has already lost their job? I mean, should they call up their old boss and ask what they could have done better? Or like, what would you do? Yeah, that's a good place to start. That's a okay. great place to start. And also talk to friends, talk to family. Look, my um, book is really largely centered on this idea that it's your communication skills that are sabotaging you. Now, if it's something else, then I really can't help you. That's not the purview of my book. If, if you just don't know how to code or you can't actually yeah. fill the tooth, that's a problem. Or if you don't show up on time or you're a jerk, you know, then mm -hmm. th th those are issues I'm not really dealing with in my book. I'm dealing with those people that are just missing out on the margins a little bit and not getting the promotions and, and, and they're on the wrong side of the downsizings, et cetera. And so I think you can get that feedback from your bosses. You can also get feedback from your colleagues. You can get it from your wife, your husband, your partner, your brothers, your sisters, your friends. Mm -hmm. And if you create that open space in your life to really seek it out, and, and I've made myself, frankly, over the last four years, I have made myself into the guinea pig. Even though I'm writing a book on communication and I'm supposed to be the quote-unquote expert, uh, you know the expression like, he couldn't teach, uh, you know, so or he couldn't do it. So he taught. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I still have a lot of communication flaws and my wife and many others have taken the opportunity, thankfully, to to just punch me when when needed along the way. And, and I think I've hopefully made a lot of big improvements in these last four years. Uh, asking for feedback will cause that. And the other thing that I, I would offer as we're talking through this, I'm thinking about my management interactions, both as an employee and as the, the big cheese. Um, it's usually the words thank you are really important. So if a manager goes out of their way and offers you a little bit of constructive feedback and, and instead of going, oh, that's really bad news. Instead, you can say, thank you so much for telling me. You'll probably hear more. And, and so... I feel like managers are going to be testing the water a little bit to see how open to feedback you really are. And if you send that signal that says, yeah, I, I do want to know how I'm actually doing instead of getting the gold star. Uh, your, your overall kind of overarching theme in that book is so critical. Except we're leaving out one important point. Uh, what is it? You are referring to managers as if feedback can only go down the food chain, so to speak. I, I have a culture where I work with a lot of 20-something-year-olds and just yesterday, one of my young 20-somethings, he blasted me. I sent an email out yesterday. I love that. And yeah. he just blasted me to smithereens on a text. What are you doing, basically? Like, I just can't believe you just did that on that email. And he's 28, and I'm 53. And I loved it. I loved it. I thought it, it was great. And so good. 
you you built a really powerful good culture where that's safe. You know, Ray Dalio does a lot of that, and I, I got a chance to meet him briefly in uh, at the Milken Conference in the Middle East. Impressive as a you know, just as an individual person, but you look at how he's he's written a whole book about that, where that kind of up up upward feedback is normal. And so I crave more of that, and I find I have a hard time getting it. I don't know if it's something I'm doing, but you're totally right. Uh, you really want to be one of those people who tells the boss what's going on. But okay, it's a pandemic. People are happy to have a job. Uh, is there some way that an employee can feel out whether their manager is really ready for some feedback? Because it can also be a little risky. You tell the boss that he's you know, acting like no, a jerk. No, no, no. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree okay. with you. I, I agree with you. Look, I, I, like I said, I, I'm 53. I'll be 54 in a few weeks. And, and, and the thing is, is that, you know, my company has been around since 1996. So this is almost 25 years. And many of the people that work for me, with me, are been there 20 plus years, 15 years, 10 years. And so there's a lot of foundational, you know, stuff down there. And I think you have to start building it. And going back to your original point about giving the boss feedback, what have you, I think the boss has to also say, I'm not taking yes for an answer either. And I think Ray Dalio is great. I've read his book and I think yeah. he focuses a lot on decision-making. Are we making mm -hmm. the best decision here? And I think that's great. I would also add to it that a lot of businesses don't succeed in the room, not because they're not offering the best product or what have you, but the boss himself is often not the greatest closer, so to speak, in terms of the salesmanship or not creating the best communication. And that's where I think, in addition to what Ray is saying, we should also be creating a lot of dialogue around best practices around communication. Okay. That's hard enough, even in an office, but now we're all stuck at home on video. <laughs> so what changes if we're doing this over Zoom and Skype and all the other stuff like that? What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body. Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words, what it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. <laughs> so what changes if we're doing this over Zoom and Skype and all the other stuff like that? Well, again, I don't. I mean, this is kind of like uh, one of these TV commercials. I don't recommend you try this at home. 
<laughs> you know, I, I say not yet. If, if you don't have the foundational underpinnings in your organization or in your relationships, I do not recommend starting this program during the pandemic. I, I do not. I think we should sure. wait. But again, just talking about our company, because we do have that foundation, and you seem like you have it also in, in some or all of your organizations. Some of my companies, I'm working on them all differently. Right, right. so I, in some of the ones that you have, I mean, I, I can tell you the truth that in the very primary relationships with the 10 people that I deal with the most in my life professionally, we haven't missed a beat. I mean, there hasn't been any change. Like I mentioned yesterday with the feedback, whether it's via Zoom or email or text or phone, there's a constant interplay with each other. And it's just, it's like a family. I mean, I, I love my job and my wife makes fun of me because I, I, I'm a much better communicator in, in my business life than I am in my personal life. And I think it's because I, I don't have like any of those underlying sibling issues that I had when I was a kid or, you know, no mommy or daddy issues. And everybody kind of leaves their baggage at home, I think, with work. Yeah. And we can just say whatever we want to each other. The thing is, you're 53, right? We have these Ericksonian stages of adult development. And it's pretty common when you're working with someone who's under 25, their prefrontal cortex isn't all the way really late in yet. It really solidifies around 25. So you're naturally going to be more interested in different things when you're 22 or 23 than you are when you're 28 or than you are when you're 35. And, and there's, it's not true for everyone, but in terms of the law of averages, uh, there's, there's behavior patterns. For instance, in your 20s, you're oftentimes about building your community, your set of friends, your tribe, right? And you get into your... Th <clears throat> Right. You get into your 30s, and all of a sudden you're like, what about my career? What about my core relationships and maybe a family? And so we, we shift our behaviors over that time. But when you're working with someone as an employer, uh, then communicating on a level with, with people where, okay, by the time you're 50, you've hopefully dealt with most of your crap or you at least know what it is. But when you're 22, unless you're raised by saints in a monastery or something, you probably have a bunch of crap you haven't dealt with. And then someone comes along and says, you know, I don't like how you communicate. Uh, you're, uh, you know, you're rude at work and you chew like a cow. Right? <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to land different. Right? Do you change uh, the feedback tone based on where people are in their stages of life? I, I, I don't really think I've ever thought through that before. It's an interesting point. I, I, and I'm going to give you an honest answer. I don't know. I don't know that I have. I think that well, one of the touchstones, I think, of, of really good feedback, I, I, I've said this, it's tough love, right? Yeah. And, I, and I think there has to be love there. You know, even if it's a, mm -hmm. it's a work relationship, and I use the word love, maybe slightly metaphorical, but if somebody knows that you care about them, and you really have their best interest at heart, first and foremost. It gives you, I, I believe, a lot of latitude to say certain things if that love is very present and it's, it's kind of hovering in the background or in the foreground of the conversation. And, and I've experienced this, like I said, with Reed, who's 23, and people who are 30 and 40 and 50 and 60. And I think it's incumbent upon the person giving the feedback to really communicate, look, I'm saying this to you, Igor, you know, the one you talked about earlier, because I, I care about you. It's not just for the betterment of our business, it's also for the betterment of you. You mm -hmm. may take this feedback and go run another business someday and be the CEO and reach all your potential. And I hope you achieve all of it here with our business, 
And I'm telling you this because I think it's better for you to know it. And I care about you. And hopefully I've manifested that elsewhere in our relationship. Then I think okay. the person has a real opening to hear it. I like that. How about this idea of warmth and energy? These are such mushy concepts, uh, and, but you put them on the cover of your book, you know, authority, warmth, energy. How do employees or managers, but since it's most of your people are working, how do they go about projecting that warmth and energy as a way to get ahead? Well, what I try to do is take those mushy concepts, as you aptly call them, very rightfully so, and try to break them down into their smallest parts. So almost like thinking about warmth on the molecular level, if you will, and saying, well, what are the 10 components of warmth and how can it manifest itself in your life? And one of the ways is, is smiling at someone, you know, just, just smile. And the other is to be emotionally committed to your words when you're talking to someone so that they know that you actually care. Another is to make eye contact when someone's talking to you. Another is to ask a question. If someone's saying something to you, ask a question that shows that you're actually paying attention. Be interested in another person. Be interested in what they're saying. Ferret out what's important to them. Show that emotional consideration. When appropriate, I know we're in a different era now, but if it's the right moment and you have the, the equity with the person, touch their arm a little bit. You know, Just give them a hug if it's necessary. Yeah, and that, that's such a tough one. I had a hugging culture for a while at Bulletproof. We, like I'd hug all my execs like equally. And you know, you, when they first come to the company, I'm like, hey, this is kind of what we do. Are you okay? And at that point forward, it it was all right. But at a certain point, it it's like there's just there's just too much weird legal energy floating around. We just kind of stopped doing it, and something's missing from that. But all right, so I mean, we're, it, we're lucky yeah. again. Like so many Weird. of these relationships have been around. One of my top people is a woman, Carol Perry, who's been with me for over 20 years. So she's, we've been hugging each other for 20 years. We're not going to stop now. You know, yeah. and her husband's a great friend of mine and he's six foot three and played college when, football. He can when people pump, sexualize pump a hug or a carrying hand on a shoulder, <laughs> there's something wrong because those are kind of how, how humans connect. Right. Uh, but you know, I, I don't know that I'm going to be the one to go out and fight that but, but, fight. But, but putting aside <laughs> hugging for the moment, there, yeah. there are certainly other ways you can manifest your warmth to another person. And I think if you read, hopefully about this and you, you get it down to its, its, its granular level, you'll see there are certain things that you can be applying in your daily life that are very low hanging fruit type things. And also you may learn that there's one or two or three things that you're not doing. That's really, again, to use this word, sabotaging you and harming your, your growth. And the same goes for energy. The same thing is for energy. I, think about it, you know, Energy can manifest itself in, in two ways, if we're just going to simplify it, high energy and low energy. And sometimes high energy can deflate the other person. And sometimes low energy can energize the other person. So it's important to think about energy from the perspective of inside out and thinking about how are you energizing the other person? And do you have the presence of mind in the moment to know whether or not to be a little more high energy, a little lower energy? Let them talk, be very attentive to them by listening to them, which might energize the other person and, and use some of these other tips that we talk about. Is it possible to fake warmth? It's a great question. I would say, I hope not. I hope, <laughs> I, I hope not because the, the last thing I want people to do is read this book and become, you know, what is that famous expression? 
uh, you know, life is all about sincerity. If you can fake that, yeah. you've got it made. So I do, I do hope that people take these things and they change a little bit on the outside and that changes them on the inside. Uh, well said. My research says that the only people who can really fake it are sociopaths and psychopaths, about 4% of people. The rest of us, our physiology changes uh, when we try to fake it and other people pick that up, like changes in electrical fields and things like that. And we just know at some level it's inauthentic. So unless you're one of those really 4% uh, probably broken people, then you're not going to be able to fake it. And we're going to know, and that creates a feeling of, of not safety. Uh, right. So, I, I, I agree with you, and I, I'm, I'm very <clears throat> happy to hear you. I, I didn't know that, that they, the data you decided, and I'm thrilled that you did, because it, it's, it's a little scary, thankfully, that this is true, because people could use this for very nefarious purposes. And people have been faking that stuff for a long time, and certainly I've had uh, sociopaths and psychopaths you know, infiltrate into different ones of my companies, and eventually you find them and you get rid of them, but they usually leave a swath of of damage in their wake, and you know, the company has to heal when they're gone. So part of my job is to be better at detecting those people and not letting them in the door. And you know, some of them know what they're doing, some of them don't, but it doesn't really matter if they're causing harm. And those are the kind of people where, as a as a, a manager, if you give them feedback, uh, it it's impossible uh, for it to be their fault. And, and they will reflect, deflect, and you have a bubble of invisibility. And if you hire someone who just won't take any feedback at all because it's always someone else's fault, do you have any, uh, any advice uh, in a situation like that? Or maybe for people who are working for a manager like that? Because, I mean, that's a terrible situation when you're working for a sociopath or a psychopath where it's always your fault, even if it's not. What would you do then? Wow. I, I, I would say, if, if possible, try to find a new job. Yeah, run. <laughs> That's yeah, the right I, thing. <laughs> I, I would. I, I mean, if it's someone's a sociopath and they just really have no ability to self-reflect, that's not the right organization for you. And yeah. I, I hope that people could, could find a way out of that. Because that's, that's some problems, I think, are maybe insolvable. Uh, and it, in, in that case, simply it's not you. Right, and of course, the act of gaining wisdom over time is figuring out when it's you and when it's the other person in any relationship, whether it's a relationship with a friend, with a loved one, or uh, even at work, where you know you're both part of it. But if you realize, wait a minute, the common element here is this other person. Yeah, you just got to get out of there. Okay, I I like your thinking there. Now, you also talk about energy in in the book. You call it a dynamic quality that gives you power. And I define energy as you know electrons in the body, and it comes from eating you know, food and metabolizing air. But you have a softer definition of energy. Uh, how how do people show energy in the workplace in order to uh, establish awe? Well, I think both those things, <clears throat> both both of those statements can be true that, that you just said about your definition of energy and mine also. I, I think first of all, if if you're talking right. And your volume is very flat, and people can people will sense if you're not inflecting with your words, and there's no body language moving, you're just sitting there, and you're completely disconnected. That to me is the definition of having no energy. But if your volume is rising at times, it's lowering at times. There's there's unpredictability to your cadence. There's a lyrical quality to your communication, and you're so committed to what you're saying, then I think people will feed off that. And that is my definition of energy. And it's that ability to know how, not only how the room 
how you're reading the room, but how the room is reading you at the exact same time. It's that dynamic that's happening. I like it. I'm actually taking voice lessons right now from Roger Love. And Roger's the guy who taught Bradley Cooper how to sing. So he'd be in that movie, I think A Star is Born with Lady Gaga. And this is a very famous voice coach who I just met through happenstance. Uh, and I've been doing that because I wanted to be better at projecting the energy that I feel. But it's really interesting to me where you're saying, okay, you know, how do you project it? It is in how you show up. And now that we're living in a world of microphones and a world of uh, really uh, microphones and video, the skills seem like they've changed. So your voice maybe becomes more important. And now it's time for some tough love for you. Your video conferencing skills also have to change so you can project energy and all these things like that. So you've got not such a good camera. You've got a bad camera angle, bad lighting, and a bad microphone. Yep. Tough love. <laughs> no, I agree with you. I agree. I mean, we're we're out here sharing a house, um, you know, because of the pandemic, and it's sure. I'm just hoping people don't start screaming. But I, I completely agree with you, and I need to get that changed. But I want to say this to you, not to change the conversation, yeah. but I, I actually think that the most impressive thing maybe I've heard about you after reading your bio and knowing everything you've achieved is actually that you're taking voice lessons. It's oh, incredible. Thank you. Because I, I I spend a lot of time on this in the book, and I talk about how your voice is your second face. And th this was a line that a guy named Dr. Mort Cooper said in his book, which is called Change Your Voice, Change Your Life. And he might be the precursor to someone like Roger Love. And I think it's fascinating how important our voice is to people. And yet we spend so much time on our face and the impression we're making, but almost none on our voice. So I, I applaud you for, for oh. working on it. Thank you. And, and I didn't mean to come across as, as super critical on your stuff there. It was more of a comment for, hey, if you're doing interviews to get a new job right now and you have it within you to change the lighting in your room, if you show up better in the interview and you have a microphone that costs you 50 bucks, this is a $700 mic I'm using because I run a professional show, but a $50 mic is going to make you shine Right? And if you do a couple of deep breaths before and then you calm down, I think people can do exactly what you say in your book and they can do it with a little bit more strength and power. And heck, if you have voice lessons, you know how to sing and breathe and all the stuff that I'm working on learning, uh, that's even better. But it feels like man, if it's a competitive job market and you want someone to trust you and you want to project energy and authority and warmth the way you're describing, the tools of projection used to be standing in a conference room and doing it and not sweating through your suit. But what it is now is how do you look and how do you sound? And the rest of it's been taken away. So I feel like doubling down on those might be worth doing in a pandemic, but there's no data to support that. I'm just guessing. No, no, I, I just want to say that I give you a lot of credit here because you took my entire book and you summarized it and you gave the best possible feedback that anyone's going to get in this podcast. It's not going to be from me. It was what you just said for the last 60 seconds. So I caution your listeners, if you can't listen to any of this podcast except for that one minute, you've gotten enough. I think it was oh, brilliant. Thank you. The way you said, I'm serious. That that was perfectly stated. Uh, it's, uh, it's one of those things where I hated as a young, fat computer hacker. I was 300 pounds. My, my dress code was Powell Peralta uh, pants or shorts, you know, the skater ones, size 46-inch waist and a double extra large black T-shirt with uh, some sort of hacker slogan on it and mirrored shades, which is kind of how you looked in the <laughs> 90s as a hacker. Yes, that was me. And, uh, and a leather jacket when I could afford one. <laughs> so uh, 
that I, I go from there and then you show up for an interview. It, it was, you had to learn how to dress and I had to learn that, oh, how you look matters, right? And you go through this. And some people, it's just natural. Your parents taught you. And that's not what I learned. I learned that, you know, how you hack matters and what you do. Uh, but now how you present an idea, it matters because otherwise your idea will never be born. And, and I had to learn the art of marketing because I wanted to be because I wanted coffee without mold in it <laughs> and stuff like that. So package yourself. And I think the reason I wanted to have you on the show um, after going through the book, it's that the concept of authority, warmth, and energy, it's, it's really important. And those are things that no one teaches you in business school. I went to Wharton. No one teaches you that in, in high school. Your career counselor is going to do that. And your boss isn't going to do that, even if they are giving you good feedback. So for you to say, all right, 53 years, run an agency for a long time. You guys need to know this. I think that's a really big gift. And man, if I'd have read this when I was 25, it probably would have given me an extra five years of growth in my career. It's that big of a deal what you're teaching here. So that, that's why I wanted to have this on to hopefully help some of the 49 million people who are looking for jobs right now. Well, I really appreciate you saying that. And I, I want to just add that you actually do get taught this at one point in your life. When you get and, fired? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I'm I'm a little I'm being serious for a second. Yeah. It's, it's going to sound funny, but it's very true. This uh, metric of awe, A W E, like you say, it doesn't show up at Wharton. It doesn't show up in college. It doesn't show up in law school. Nowhere it shows up one time. It shows up in kindergarten. It shows up on your report card in kindergarten. And you know, it, 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 in the in the sense that they'll say, Dave is a pleasure to have in class. Dave is 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 a warm person. He shares his blocks well. All these things are on your report card in kindergarten. Go back and look, and you'll see that these AWE qualities are on many report cards, also in nursery school. And then it disappears. It disappears in first grade, and it never shows up again. And the thing is, wow. the thing is, Dave, is that this is exactly why I wrote this book, because I'm a bit of a missionary zealot here for this idea that the data shows that 85% of your success is based on not how you are the technical part of your job, because that gets commoditized and everybody gets to be good enough on the bell curve who get the job at the computer company or the dental office or the law firm. And so everybody's kind of good enough at it. And that's not separating you. And the 85% does. And yet we dedicate in our country to this day, zero, zero resources to teaching people the 85%. We don't have any language around it. We don't have any metrics around it. We don't have anything actionable around it. And that's what I hope people will get from this book is to say, well, Jesus, 85% and I'm not looking at it at all in my life? Well, maybe just spend you know, a few minutes and, and start to learn about it. Very well said. And thanks for writing about it. Thanks for taking the time and just for sharing. I, it's, it's just the right time. And I know stressful time to launch a book uh, right in the middle of June in a pandemic. I think it's the best time ever because that's when your book can do the most good. Uh, your website, Stephen Hertz, S-T-E-V-E-N-H-E-R-Z. And they've got a couple of words you can misspell there. So the proper spelling of Stephen, no offense to my PH friends out there, and hers, H-E-R-Z, not the rental car spelling. And your book is called, yeah, I'm scrolling back up to the exact title. There you go. And your book is called Don't Take Yes for an Answer. So if you're looking for a job or you're struggling in your job or you don't want to be struggling in your job and you want to be, uh, the person who keeps your job, if you're at a company that's in a tough place right now, this is what you need to know and what you need to do. And that is why this episode exists. I hope it was of service to you. If you like the book, do what all good people do. I used to say, tip your barista. 
but you don't have to tip your barista because you're probably not going into coffee shops because you're probably brewing at home, which is a good thing to do anyway. So what else could you do? Leave a review for your author. It's like leaving a tip, but it doesn't cost you anything. So if you like the book, leave a review. And if I've ever said this on any podcast, if you don't like the book, leave a negative review and Steve will thank you for it. <laughs> the Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.